0: So what does the word commons mean? Well, our our definition is that a a dictionary definition of commons is that it's a resource belonging to and affecting all members. But our definition is that it is a shared space of beauty and purpose, rights and responsibilities, care and commission. Beauty and purpose, rights and responsibilities, care and commission. Uh, In this context, we the church are the commons where all are welcome. The idea of shared responsibility and shared access is partly why we as an eldership team decided to call ourselves Mercy Commons. And the reason is because over the five years that we have been at Southlands Fullerton, it is because of you, the church, and because everyone has done their part and shared the responsibility that we have this legacy moving into Mercy Commons. Uh, a lot of what I'm going to be sharing this morning is going to come out of Paul's letter to the Thessalonian church. And chapter 1 of the first letter to the Thessalonians, I kind of want to rewrite and say this. Nick, Travis, Neil, and Sean to the Church Mercy Commons, established and found in God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father the work of your faith, the labor of your love, and the steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that He has chosen you. And as an eldership team, those are our our words that we mean, that every time we pray for you, we mention you in our prayers, we remember your work of faith, your labor of love, your steadfastness of hope. And as much as we together um, are going to be calling you into more, we are deeply grateful for what you have given, firstly to Jesus, and secondly to us. So what defines this commons? Acts 2, 44 to 47, and I know this is a well-worn text, but it's a well-worn text because it's an important descriptor of what a community of grace looks like. It says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, day by day, attending the temple, together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Yes, it's a well-worn text. Yes, we've preached about, even from um, Acts two forty-two to 47, of what the markers of a genuine faith community look like. Um, and so this morning... I'm going to be calling us, especially those that call Mercy Commons their home, and those that are even looking in, in terms of what does it look like to be part of Mercy Commons, of what does it mean to be part of Mercy Commons. And it it means four things, essentially. It means that we share our stuff. It means that we share our hearts. It means that we stay and embrace the pain of community. And it means that family is more than just a husband, a wife, and two kids, a dog and a cat. We share our stuff with one another. If you've been with us for any amount of time, you'll remember the words, time, talents and treasures. And uh, we've spoken before about what membership is. And membership is not membership of a club. Um, It's not the membership of a voting body. It's the same thing that your member, your, your finger is a member of your hand, your hand is a member of your body. And in order for a bodily part to function, it needs three things. It needs, you know, ligament attachment. The Bible talks about being attached as ligaments. It needs blood supply, and it needs uh, skeletal integrity. Did I get that right? No, Betsy? Well, let me say this. Without any one of those three, you don't have a functioning limb. If you don't have ligament connection, you don't have a functioning limb. If, you don't, if, if the bone is broken, you don't have a functioning limb. And if you don't have blood supply, you don't have that. And so as part of Mercy Commons, what we call all of our members to including ourselves is an investment of time, talent, and treasures into this community. And this is not just giving financially in the context of church and the way in which the Bible has spoken about that. But there are people in this community that have blessed others in this community well beyond that. There are people that have bought others washing machines. There are people that have bought others cars. There are people that have helped people make rent. And then, by giving to the church, we have been able to help people maintain their dignity by receiving help from the church without knowing who that money came from, um, and by helping people that have hit difficult times. And that's just one area. Serve teams, obviously, and you knew I was going to do this, right, Gabby, in terms of serve teams. Serve teams is another area where we share our stuff with one another, where we share our talents. With one another and in, in Southern California time can often be a more scarce commodity than money and so the sharing of our time and the sharing of our talents with each other is sometimes a little more difficulty than saying here have a check and so I want to call us to a place of actually saying guys what does it look like for us to share our stuff with one another and um, I'm glad that um, Michaela mentioned the whole thing of uh, ladies and logistics. I think that, that's got a nice ring to it, like the, the ladies of logistics, you know? Um, and so just as much as we welcome men to be in kids ministry, and April will, will tell you this, so, some of our best teachers and love teachers are men in the context of children's ministry. We welcome you empowered strong women to be part of the logistics team. Okay, you can pay me later, Mitch. We share our hearts with one another. 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 7 and 8 says, and Paul is talking to the Thessalonian church, and he's talking about how they ministered into the Thessalonian church. He says, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother, taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share not only the gospel of God, but also ourselves, because you had become very dear to us. That doesn't sound like a corporate understanding of church. Now that doesn't even sound like a heavily leadership-focused or orientated model of church. It sounds like a, a family, like a mother. We were gentle. We were affectionately desirous. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves. He spent, uh, and commentators will say that at a minimum three weeks. This is the fastest church plant I've ever seen. Uh, A church planted in three weeks, 21 days, three Sabbaths, Acts 17 tells us that he was there. Now we know he he went and came back, but wow. Now the level of love and affection that Paul and his team um, are expressing to the Thessalonians is the same level of love and affection that you see in all of Paul's letters to all of the churches that he has care over. He shares his hearts with the churches that he's planted. And one of the things that we are called to as a commons is to share our hearts with one another. Now, I was gone for three weeks, and Neil didn't manage to plant another church in three weeks. It's not like Paul, you know, so I was gone for three weeks on a silent retreat, and I'll never do that again, and, um, and it did change my life. It did, but I won't do that again, and, um, and when I came back, this was the important thing, uh, and, and this really deeply ministered to me, said, um, we missed you. Everything went well, but we missed you. We we didn't miss your preaching. We didn't miss your leadership. We didn't miss what you brought. We missed you. Um, and, And for me, that was one of the kindnesses of God, because most of my life I had grown up with a sense of, what have you done for me lately? I am what I can produce, and I am what I can give. Um, And knowing that I come back into a community that embraces me, not for what I can give, but for who I am, is part of what makes this community unique. When we share our hearts with one another, it gets messy. Casual, surface, shallow relationships, they're not that messy. But deep relationships where we know each other well means that we can hurt each other deeper. Um, And as a leadership team, we've been engaged in some of the The messiness of being part of this community where someone has been hurt by another member in this community, and instead of just cutting and running, they're saying, Actually, we want to work this out. It's been a privilege to walk through that. It's in our homes where our values are tested, and that's why being part of life groups is so essential. Uh, because we can talk about these things. Yes, we want to share our hearts with one another. But it's when we engage with each other outside of the context of the Sunday gathering where these values are tested. There, uh, we had a couple over for dinner one night. I can't actually remember who it was. Um, but, but you'll understand why. And my daughters, particularly my, one of my daughters, was being stroppy. What, what's, a, what's another word for stroppy? Cheeky. Okay, She so was being cheeky you know and sassy anything else got another one you know anyone want to buy a val? i don't know so so she was being cheeky and and we're sitting down for dinner and this and this couple's there for dinner and then i just i just had a moment and i said and I, i pointed my finger at her and i said i am not your buddy you stop that and everyone got quiet right and And in that moment, they realized, wow, he really does have warts. He really did not handle that situation very well. He really is human. And I didn't pretend that I'd handled that situation well. Um, Afterwards, I went to, I almost told you who it was, the the, the said daughter. And and I apologized for the way that I said that, but not not for what I said. Uh, It's in our homes when these values are tested where we share our hearts with one another another time we had a couple over for dinner and, and as they walked in I said to them just so you know we've had a huge fight and so we are a little prickly right now now we could have just covered over that we could have just pretended like nothing happened but we want to share our hearts with, with this community we want people to know that we're human and that and that just like everyone else The Spirit of God is working to produce Christ-like change in us. Um, And we need your help. Um, Glad and generous hearts is what the Scripture in Acts says. You know, when my wife laughs, I just just laugh. She has this contagious laugh. And she thinks I'm laughing at her joke, which which I'm I'm really not. So she will make a joke and laugh excessively, exuberantly, and loudly. And I'm laughing at two things. I'm laughing that she thinks that's funny. <laughs> and I'm laughing at the way that she laughs. And, and sharing joy is not something that we really need to think, okay, I have to share joy with this person. It's something that just kind of naturally happens, right? But sharing our hearts with one another is sharing sorrow as well. We laugh and um, we laugh with those who laugh, we mourn with those that mourn. And sharing sorrow is important because sorrow is isolating and lonely. And in the context of a common community, one of the things that we need to do is is learn how to share sorrow with one another, learn how to share victories with one another. Uh, A victory and the, the power of victory is multiplied as we share it. We share failures with one another. Because when we share failures with one another, it's easier to bear that burden and that load. That's what it means to share our hearts with one another. We stay, we embrace the pain, and we work it out. In uh, chapter 2, verse 11, it says, he, he, now he's already spoken to the Thessalonians about how uh, as a mother he has treated them. Now he says, for you know, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you to his own kingdom and glory. Western individualism has affected every aspect of our lives. It's affected the way we view salvation. It's affected the way we view family. It's affected the way we view commitment and purpose. And salvation has, um, has become this almost uniquely personal event, but it was never intended to be a personal event. Kellerman says that um, salvation is a community-creating event. That we are called out of something into something. That means that by repenting and placing our faith in Jesus, we are not just restored in relationship to God, but we are part of a covenantal family. That God has always pursued us as a people. Um, And in Exodus, we have the picture of God rescuing His people, pulling them out of Egypt, and making Himself a people. We find that same picture in Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes upon the people that Acts 2 is talking about, and creating a people. And so salvation is a community-creating event. Social anthropologists tell us that we, as Americans, are what are called a weak group society. It's offensive, but it's, it's true. It's where the needs, goals, and desires of the individual are primary, and the needs, goals, and desires of the group are secondary. In fact... They say that um, we tend to view groups in a completely utilitarian way. That these broader societal societal entities, like family, church, organizations, civic society, sports teams, they serve as a resource that we as individuals draw on in order to realize our own goals. So if we are part of a group, we're part of a group because of what it can do for me. We're not part of a group because we don't understand the fact that God has called us to image the group, the Godhead, the Trinity, as a community of faith. We aren't part of a group because we realize that there are some things that I will only learn from you as a community and not directly from God. We're not part of a group for the greater good. We're part of the group because of what it does for me. My needs are not being met by this group. I'll leave this group. My talents are not being recognized by this group. I will leave this group. And that's the kind of society that we've been fashioned in and that has bled into the context of the church. We have become purveyors, tasters, and consumers of spiritual products. It's kind of like when you go to the Anaheim packing district and you're like, yeah, I'll have, um, I'll have some sushi from that place and then I'll have some, what's that fancy name for the fries? Poutine, poutine, yes. I have the. Yeah. gee, my mouth kind of watered right then. You know, I'll have the poutine with the shredded pork and the fried egg on top of that. Yeah, I'll have that from that place, and then I'll have the frozen yogurt from there. And no, I don't want anything, and I'll take what I want, and I'll sit with where you know where I want to sit. Um, but when you're invited to a family meal, you sit down at the table. You're grateful for what you have and you're grateful that you're surrounded by people, you don't get to make that choice. Um, We taught our kids early on, you get what you get, and you don't throw a fit. And one day, Margaret, Corinne's mom, came, and she said, what is this? And Aaron said, gaga, you get what you get, and you don't throw a fit. You get what you get, and you don't throw a fit. Part of, part of staying and embracing the pain is inviting this community into our decision-making process. Now, part of being a community is recognizing that our decisions have ripples. And even if I think I have the right to make my own decision, and this is not about controlling you, this is not about making sure that you make decisions that benefit us, this is about safety. And I remember last year going through this, Uh, in with this community and you guys will know this that I really wanted to buy a Tesla (laughs) and I had done all the numbers and I had figured it out and it was only going to be with all the benefits from the federal government and from California and it was if I'd saved enough money I'd put down the $1,000 deposit and I'd save money because by that time and then I I spoke to a couple leaders and I spoke to my wife and they, they said to me no I know I know that actually That car is way cheaper than a mom van. It is way cheaper than a mom van, but it just wouldn't look good. And I'll be like, yeah, they're right. Do I still want a Tesla? Yes, I do. (laughs) Every morning, there's one of the lifeguard moms that comes here and there's this great Tesla in there. And it's like a test for saying this, Nick, will you subject your needs, not because it's right, but in the context of this community, And what is best? Because that might just cause someone to stumble. And I'd be like, yes, I will. (laughs) One of these days it will be, yes, I will. Right now though, it's, yes, I will. God can work with that. It's in the context of a genuine community where we bear with one another, where we forgive one another, where we challenge, exhort and encourage one another. I've had men come up to me and say, that is not like you. This kind of behavior, this kind of speech, that's not like you. I've been encouraged, I've been exhorted, I've been comforted. I've been forgiven. I've been born with. You know what I mean? Okay. You know what I realized, being part of a Christian community? It's easier to forgive someone because, in a sense, we are commanded through the gospel to forgive one another, for me, it's a little more difficult to bear with one another. Like if someone has sinned against me, I'm able to actually say, well, Jesus, I mean, the amount of sin that I've sinned against you and other people, I have no right to hold that against that person. And, and so for me, forgiving someone of sin is a little easier than if someone is just annoying. You know, they're they're, they're not sinning. They're not doing anything wrong. They're just, it's hard to bear with it. That's why Paul says, bear with one another. That's why he separates the two. There is a difference. We are to bear with one another. We are to forgive one another. We are to love one another. All three of those things can only take place in the context of a community where we share our stuff, we share our hearts, and where we stay and embrace the pain. When relational things get difficult, we don't just cut and run. This happens in a community where family is more than just a husband and wife. And Sean spoke about this even as he he ended his prayer. In a a family there is love, there is structure, there are responsibilities, privileges, hardships, celebrations. There's plenty of work, there's lots of fun. Each member of the family adds value by who they are and not just by what they do. But also this is complex. Because families can be places of unmet expectations. Families can be places of neglect. Families can even be places of abuse. And now we know that even the idea of fatherhood is something that pricks people in their heart. So when they hear that that God is a father, their experience with their father has colored this. And our experience with family also colors the idea that we are to be a family. But God doesn't apologize. He he identifies himself as father. The dominant lens through which we view scripture is family because that's what we see. But there is this understanding that a lot of you have had difficult and different family situations. And a lot of you have learned not only to live without that, but to actually push that away. And so I understand that it's difficult for you to actually come into a place that's saying, embrace us as family. The thing that I know, though, is that God is the father of this family. The Spirit of God enables us in this family. And so there is a difference with this family during the God and sex series and I don't have time to detail all of that but we covered how the church has become complicit in the narrative that you aren't someone until someone loves you and that the idea of human fulfillment is tied up in marriage or sexual pleasure and children and that that not, not only has become a goal that has shifted our gaze from Jesus but it's also possibly become an idol and so that's why Jesus redefines what family is. In Mark 3:31, Jesus is sitting and his mother and his brothers come and they're standing outside and they send him and they call him and the crowd says to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking around at the people who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister, my mother and father. We know that following Jesus meant joining his group of disciples, prioritizing it above any other group. Let me be clear on this. That was a big deal in those days. When you talked family in those days, we weren't just talking about this little nuclear family. We were talking about this idea, this cultural idea that permeated most cultures where family was something you died for, family was something you invested in. And so what Jesus is doing is his This is offensive to us, even with our own little nuclear understanding. Family is myself, Karen, and the three kids. This, imagine how offensive this was in the broader context where family had just such a deeper meaning. But Jesus is saying, let me redefine what family is. Jesus redefined it in the Jewish context. Later in the epistles, Paul redefines it in a Gentile context. But both Paul and Jesus remind us that we have familial responsibilities. Uh, they both remind us that we actually have familial and financial responsibilities, even to the point where Paul says if someone doesn't fulfill their familial obligations, they are to be treated as an unbeliever. So there isn't this sense of like, no, you need to just get rid of your natural earthy family and be part of this. Well, what Jesus is saying in this context is that the family of faith outranks the physical family only when there's a, t- when there's a, a conflict, a choice that needs to be made. In order to be part of the family of God or to be part of your natural family. Does that make sense? But the term family is something that we also want to reinvigorate. We are like a family. We do have strong bonds of commitment, love, and affection, but we aren't like a family in this. We do not have a narrow, nuclear caricature view of our family. So this is our family, but that's not all that our family is. Our family does not exist for our own happiness, comfort, survival, and convenience. Uh, may, May we be so bold as to say that by God's grace, this family will be productive, reproducing, and powerful. That's what we see in the Thessalonian church. The Thessalonian church, when Paul says to them, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you. In other words, you know how we lived among you. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example or a model to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone everywhere so that we not need to say a thing. The small group of people, this church that was planted in 21 days, has affected the province and the nation. We can do that. It's been done before. The message of the gospel has multiplied. When I think of this small community of faith from Fullerton to Thailand, the Smiths, the Harpers, JC. Now the Smiths are back with us and growing. um, But they went and they extended the gospel in Thailand. In Chino, the McBrides, the Gunters, and now the Searsons, Cyrusons. I'll blame it on the accent. In Mexico, Brittany, in North Carolina, David and Grace. This little church, throughout the United States and across the world, there is no reason that we can't be a tight, loving, committed family and be reproducing and powerful for the sake of the kingdom. Not so that we can be like, yeas, but so that the goodness of God can be multiplied just like it was in the Thessalonian church. We want to be a blessing to the city and a blessing to the world. And we are a family that is freshly empowered. As Paul um, spoke to um, all of the churches that he wrote letters to, this is not about trying harder. This is about accessing the grace of God through the Spirit of God. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Mercy Commons, we are called to be a church that helps people move from consumers of spiritual goods to practitioners of the Spirit for the common good of the church and for the renewal of the world. That's what we've been called to do. Not in our own strength and in our own power, but empowered by the Holy Spirit. We want to be a people that are not just open to the Spirit, but are eagerly desiring things of the Spirit. And sometimes what we say is, you know, we believe in the Word of God and we believe in the No, because we believe in the Word of God, we believe the Spirit of God is still active. This is not a choice that we have to make between one or the other, because what we read in Scripture clearly is that the Spirit of God empowers His church then and now, to do good works so that the name of Jesus is glorified. We want to be those that are not just open, but eagerly pursue. And I've used this example before in terms of how would you feel if you, if you asked someone out and they said, I'm open. I'm open to going out with you, you know. It's like the difference between being open and eagerly desired is like the difference between a dog and a cat, right? So when you come home, if you have a cat, you know, otherwise spawn of Satan. If you have a cat, okay, and you open the door and the cat goes like this, huh, it's you. You're in my house. That's what a cat does, right? It's like, I'm open. If you have a dog and you open the door and the dog comes, it's like, did you miss me? Did you miss me? I was here. I looked after the house. Did I do a good job? Did I? Did I? Did I? Are you coming in? Are you going to come sit with me? Are you? Are you? You know? That is eagerly desiring. Eagerly desiring. When, when, when I come home from work, Bono follows me. Bono's our little dog. He follows me around to the point that it makes Karin sad because, because he doesn't follow her around. But, but because I'm not even paying attention to him. I'm not even calling him. He's just following me around. There is an eager desire. And, and, and can we be a people that are saying to God, God, we eagerly desire you. We're not just open men. If something happens, it happens. We want to be people that eagerly desire to see you move with power, with authority. We want to be a people that are ready for God to interrupt us, for the prophetic to emerge, for people to have visions and dreams, for a kingdom demonstration to follow the preaching of his word, for people to be healed. And there have been people that have been healed in the context of this community. There have been babies that have been born here as people have prayed for people that couldn't have children. They're they're literal objects of grace. God is still doing his thing. Last week, someone that isn't generally used in the prophetic took a step of faith out and ministered to a visitor and rocked her world. What? So that unbelievers will know that I am in your midst. Clearly God is among you. This is not just in the context of gifts of the Spirit, but that we would be enabled to put our flesh to death, our selfishness, our independence, our comfort. God help me, God help us. And there is a danger of the commons. Beyond the obvious danger of uh, 20% of people doing 80% of the work, and we won't even look at that, there are other dangers. There's the danger of duty over love. And that is a danger. In the context of a community that is like our community, that has high commitment levels, there is the danger of duty over love. Karen says to me, we'll be sitting down, and she'll say to me, hey, um, do you want to make me some tea? And I'll be like, no, I don't want to make you tea. And then she'll say, please, will you make me tea? And I'll say, okay, I'll make you tea. So it's this little thing, that we're working on, <laughs> right? That I'm working on. <laughs> You're sharing a little more of my heart than I wanted you to share right now. Yeah, it's pretty messy. Why can't I just say, "Hey, would you would you like some tea?" Because that would be loving. Um, I see it as a duty to serve my wife. So she says, would you make me some tea? I'll be like, okay, God, help me to die to self. Help me not to think of myself more highly than I ought, but with humility that you expressed, let me, let me make some tea. How loved do you think she feels? I'll bring her the tea and I'll say, this is my, this is my sacrifice, my act of service to you. To you. And just so just so you, you know one of the, one of my friends um, Thought he had done a great thing. He had forgotten his wife's birthday I um, Hadn't got her a birthday card and so he's like okay I'm gonna solve this and he went and he bought 12 birthday cards and he put them in his top drawer And he's like this will never happen again and he put them in the drawer at his desk And he's like I, I was like this is a great solution You know, you don't have to go looking for birthday cards. You don't have to do any of those kinds of things. She found them. They had the biggest fight they've ever had, okay? (laughs) He's like, why? This is such a great idea, you know? When it's your birthday, all I do is open, pull out one of the cards, write it down. She says, you don't get it, do you? And all the ladies are like, yeah, no, he really doesn't get it. (laughs) It's an act of love for her, for you to go out there, for you to spend time, to look at these cards, Buy a card for $10, out of your mind, you know? Why are cards so expensive? But that's a whole other story, right? 1 John 4 says this, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar and he does not love his brother. How can he love his brother whom he has not seen, um, who he has seen? Then he cannot love God whom he has seen. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. You know, when Jesus loved us, he displayed initiative, he displayed sacrifice, tenderness, strength, humility, and joy. All of those things. This was not some uh, simply legal act that he needed to fulfill. This, through the Trinity, was a responsive love To people that without this work would be lost. And were created to walk in communion with God. This was a response of love. This was not duty. God didn't send his son because he was duty bound to. God sent his son because he loved us. He loves us. When we serve, when we're part of this community, we need to be careful that we are driven by love over duty or obligation. The last thing I want to say is that often we are misdiagnosed. Sometimes the carrying of our cross is grueling, it's difficult, and it's painful. And we carry wounds, we're fatigued, we carry offense or inconvenience. Now this is the problem. Wounds, fatigue, offense, or this general idea that it's inconvenient can feel similar. But they're very, very different. If you are wounded, you need healing and rehab. If you are tired, you need rest. If inconvenience is beginning to stir in you, you need to be exhorted and encouraged by God. If you are offended, you need reconciliation. Now, the problem is that we deal with these things almost and exclusively the same way. It doesn't matter whether I'm wounded, whether I'm inconvenienced, whether I'm offended, or whether I'm injured. We just pull back. That's not what we need. What we need is someone to help us discern the difference. Because sometimes I don't know if I'm actually hurt, or if I'm injured, or if I'm just being a punk. I don't know that. Sometimes I need her to tell me, you are being a punk. And it's true, sometimes we need someone to be able to say that. Just like Neil, when he is in the context of his job, which is helping people to develop physically. I know it's not just that. You change lives. I get it. Okay. Um, You know. This is is why. So I go to Neil and and I say to him, "I, I can't do that. So Neil says to me, you can't do that or it's hard. Now, I have to be honest with Neil and say, it's hard. I said, okay, so if you can't do it, what we'll do is we will organize a a different regimen for you because you are physically unable to do that. So just like in CrossFit, you have what's called um, scaling, modeling, whatever, modifying a workout, okay? In the context of us as a community, we have people around you that are able to say, no, you're actually hurt, you need rehab. No, you're wounded, you need, you, need, you need to sit out, you're offended, you need to deal with that. Or, no, this is inconvenient, and I know it's hard, but you need to push through by the grace of God. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's a hard word, but it's something that will help us to identify whether we're functioning out of a sense of entitlement. In other words, I'm here to be able to benefit but not give or whether we're functioning out of a sense of duty rather than love. As a leadership team, we want to join the work of the Spirit. And Band, you can come up. As a leadership team, we want to join the work of the Spirit as He forms and reforms you. And we want to create and call you to an environment of sacrifice and service. Why? Because we believe that it's in the crucible of sacrifice and service that you are spiritually formed and reformed. It's not in isolation, but it's part of that. Now, this is important. Everything that I've said here is framed by part one of who we are as Mercy Commons. It's because of the grace that we've received. We don't need to do anything to be able to receive the kindness and mercy of God. And so that's why these two work together and if you only listen to this you might feel this like oh that's pretty intense pretty harsh please listen to both of those things my prayer is that mercy commons would be overwhelmed with a vision of jesus which is what we spoke about last week that we would see his beauty his mercy his power and his humility and that we would be practically empowered by the holy spirit to understand the privilege we have to love one another to serve His church and to reach our world, that this way of life would not be requirement or obligation, but a joyful response to the undeserved mercy that we have received.